podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, April the 18th. Hope you're all having a nice Tuesday. The sun is shining here, so that's a great improvement on what we've had over the last, well, seven months. Um, And I'm happy because Liverpool won 6-1 last night. Liverpool 6, Leeds United 1 in the Premier League. Cody Gakbo, 2 for Salah, 2 for Jota, and a Darwin Nunes goal to wrap it up. Uh, Luis Sinistera had given Leeds some hope with a goal on 47 to make the scoreline 2-1 to Liverpool. Liverpool were not good for the first 34, 35 minutes. They had all the ball, all of the ball. Wouldn't give it back to Leeds at all, but couldn't create anything. It was very comfortable for Leeds to defend them. Liverpool were resorting to bad crosses into the box because they couldn't break Leeds down. And then Leeds did what they have tended to do most of the season and broke themselves down. Junior Firpo gave the ball away, decided to claim for handball rather than actually do his job and get back. Sal- uh, Trent to Salah, Salah to Trent, Trent to Gakbo, 1-0. Four minutes later, Weston McKenney coughed up possession. In Liverpool's half, Diogo Jota took it, ran with it. Fed Salah, 2-0. The 2-0 was reflective of how much of the ball Liverpool had had, but Leeds had probably had the better chances. Second half, big Canate error. Sinistera makes it 2-1. But from there, Liverpool just tore them apart. Jones set up Jota. Gakbo set up Salah. Henderson crossed Jota, half volleyed, came off a weird part of his leg, and then it went, and that was five. And then I thought Darwin Darwin Nunez's goal was the pick of the bunch, to be honest. Now, you could argue it was Jota's first one, but I thought the Darwin one was brilliant. It's a great ball from Trent, great first touch, good second touch to steady himself and get composure, and a really nice finish. And, uh, yeah, 6-1. Can't argue, can't complain. Liverpool move forward. That leaves the Reds still, to be fair, eighth in the league. Uh, doesn't help their league position. They're two points behind Brighton. Brighton have a game in hand. They're three points behind Aston Villa, but Liverpool have the game in hand on Villa, and Liverpool play Villa at Anfield, and Liverpool have a much better goal difference. So they should catch Villa. They should catch Brighton. Brighton have been much better than Liverpool this year, but Liverpool should still catch them. And when I say much better, I mean it is two points and a game in hand. They've won three games more. No, sorry, they've won a game more, uh, drawn a game less and lost a game less than Liverpool. 
they scored less and conceded more. But we're talking about relatively speaking. Brighton being seventh is a massive achievement. Liverpool being eighth is an absolute disaster. They should catch both of them. And given how Spurs are playing, they should catch them as well. They've got Spurs to play at Anfield. They've got a game in hand on Spurs. So again, and they've got the better goal difference. So again, they should catch Spurs. They're not going to catch top four. There's just, there's too much distance. It's nine points. They've played the same number of games. Newcastle have a slightly better goal difference. Catching them is going to be near impossible. Liverpool would need to probably win their eight remaining games and hope that Newcastle lost three of their eight and, you know, won the other five or or dropped points elsewhere. So I just don't see that happening. I think for for Liverpool, the best they can do now is fifth, Um, which, look, it's a disaster. And anything outside of a title challenge this season was unacceptable. It's been a disgraceful season, but they can at least use the last eight eight games to tinker, see what they have, try out this new shape that they used last night with Trent playing a hybrid role, right back out of possession, midfield in possession, see how it works, figure out who they have that can play those other three roles in midfield. Um, Clearly Fabinho is the best option as the six. Basetic could play that role, but ideally they need to go in the summer and buy somebody. They absolutely need to buy somebody to play those two number eight roles. Um, So that's three midfielders that they need. They need someone to play that left-back, left-centre-back role. So there's the four big needs for Liverpool this summer. They also could do it bringing in at least one centre-back, a backup for Trent, and maybe another body in attack because Firmino's going. And they'll need a backup goalkeeper as well with Kelleher out the door. They probably don't now need... Well, no, let's let's rephrase that. It's possible they won't need the fourth midfielder that they have clearly needed all season. Because if Curtis Jones can play like he did last night, he can be a valuable squad player, without question. He can definitely play a role moving forward. That shape last night suits everybody in the squad, bar Henderson and Milner. They just don't have the technical ability to play or or the ability to move that is required. Milner probably leaves this summer and Henderson will just remain an anchor around the club with his 10 million a year salary for the next two years. Um, Hopefully, hopefully he he just gets fed up being sat on the bench and, and asks to leave. And that's the best end to it for everybody. So I mean, next season might would have been a luck be his last season at the club. Um, for Leeds, it, it it looks dire at the moment. To be honest, they are two points outside the relegation zone, and we know that Forest and Everton are awful and have tough run-ins, but so do Leeds. Leeds have Fulham away next. Then it's Leicester relegation threatened. That's going to be tough. Then Bournemouth away. Relegation threatened, that'll be tough. Then City away, then Newcastle home, then West Ham away, who are just above Leeds in the table right now and might still need points. And then Spurs on the final day of the season. At home, but Spurs might still need the points to get into Europe or whatever. So it's a really, really tough run for Leeds. They're going to have to pick up a couple of results. Like the next three are crucial. 
Fulham, you just don't know what Fulham you're going to get. They they are safe. They don't need to do much of anything now. Some weeks they turn up like they did against Everton, and some weeks they don't. So you'll just have to wait and see. Leicester at home, they have to win that game. That's non-negotiable. They have to beat Leicester at home. I think they have to go and get something at Bournemouth as well. If they could take five points from the next three games, it would put them in a a good position to to stay up. Because I do think they can pick up something from West Ham and something from Spurs at home. Now, that would give them 36 points, which in this season might be enough. I just don't know that Javi Gracia has much of an idea what he's doing. Like, so much of defending is is coaching and its attitude and its focus. Leeds individually have decent defenders. Rasmus Christensen is a good defender. Pascal Struick is a decent defender. Robin Cock is a decent defender. They've got Wober, who's a decent defender. And I think if, if that was the back four, Christensen one side... Struik the other, Cock and Vober in the middle. That's that's decent. That's a decent um, back four. If Tyler Adams can get back, then you have him. I would say him, Rocca and McKenney sat in front and then just play three attackers. When you're this bad defensively, you can't play four attackers. You've got to put another body in midfield to protect that defence. So they're going to have to leave somebody out. For me, from the team that played last night, it would be Jack Harrison. Because I don't think he offers enough in a lot of games. He tends to float through games. He's clearly talented. He's got good technical level. But he floats through a lot of games. Now, Aronson does as well. But I think Aronson's got more about him to win you a game. Sinister, I think, should start. And if they don't have Bamford, I'm sorry, but you can't be starting Rodrigo. I know he's the top scorer this year, but if he doesn't score, he offers nothing. So for me, you've got to go Junior Ruter up front and just just run with that. If Bamford's not there, go with him. There's, there's a lot of talent in this lead squad, but it's not being used properly. I think the biggest issue is the goalkeeper, though. He just... He's poor. He's he's just a poor goalkeeper. Last night, Liverpool had seven shots on target and six of them went in. That, that's, that's unacceptable. You've got to make a save. You've got to make a couple of saves. Like That's just really poor. He offers no command. He's not particularly good with his feet. He's okay in 1v1s. I'll give him that because he's big. And he does spread himself well. But there's a serious case of smoke hands that goes on with him. If someone offered them big money for him in the summer, they should take it and run because it will be a robbery. He might become a good goalkeeper in two or three years. For now, he's just not. And part of it is he's gotten so used to conceding a lot of goals. This season, Leeds have conceded 60 goals. Last season, they conceded 79 goals. The season before, 54, which was acceptable. They finished ninth in their first year. But once teams figured them out, 
Like, you're just conceding so many goals. That's 139, 143, 193 goals Leeds have conceded since getting into the Premier League. And I think he's played every game since they came up. No, he hasn't. He missed three games in the first season. But last season, he played every game. And this season, he's played every game. So in the last two seasons, they've conceded 139 goals in 68 games. That's more than two a game. Just over two a game. That's awful. Absolutely awful. For almost two seasons to be conceding two goals a game. If they're going to end with 70 plus conceded again this year. You just can't get away with that. You just can't. It's so, so poor. It's not all on him, obviously. It's on the coaching staff. It's on the defenders in front of him not doing their jobs properly. But just woeful. So the goals they've conceded, um, he was not on the team for two of them. He was ill for a 1-0 defeat to Brighton and he was left on the bench for a 2-0 win over Southampton and a 3-1 win over West Brom at the tail end of the 2020-21 season. Um, that's, that's woeful. 79 goals conceded in a 38-game season. They weren't even the worst defence in the league last year. That was Norwich with 84, but 79 goals conceded is shocking. 60 conceded this season. The worst in the league. Worst in Bournemouth, who shipped nine in a game. Worst in Southampton. Worst in Leicester, who cannot defend at all. Worst in Forest, who've been battered a bunch of times. If you've got the worst defensive record in the league, you should just automatically be relegated because that's a disgrace. If we, like the championship season, then he conceded 35 goals in 46 games and he played most of that year, most of that season. But he just hasn't, he hasn't looked right since coming up. Doesn't have the command, doesn't have the authority. Just really, really poor. Um... Right, we'll do winners and losers then of the weekend. And I suppose the team to start with as a winner is City. Because once again, Arsenal dropped points. And City have now moved to within four points of Arsenal with the game in hand and Arsenal to visit the Etihad. It is becoming more and more apparent that City are the zombies that cannot be killed and they're just going to hunt down Arsenal and they're going to take the Premier League title. At the weekend, they wrapped the the Leicester game up really, really quickly. And it was 
it was so easy for them to just smash three. 25 minutes gone. Right, that'll do. We'll just all have a little rest now. Pep made a bunch of changes and they started to struggle a little bit in the game. But they did nearly score another goal. Mares um, pulled a great save out of uh, out of Iverson. It got loose late on and when Iheanacho scored and then Madison missed and Iheanacho hit the post, it could easily have gone wrong, but you always felt like City could just turn it back on at any stage. They're an absolute winner from this weekend. Really good performance when they needed it. And Arsenal dropping points is obviously a big plus for City. Um, Next up is Villa. What a performance. What an absolutely outstanding performance from start to finish. Destroyed Newcastle, a top four team. Gave themselves a real, real chance of... European football for next season. They're currently sixth. They're right up there with City as the most informed team in the league. Emery has turned them from, well, let's be honest, under Gerrard, they look like a team that were going to battle relegation. And Emery has them battling for Europe and, and looking strong for Europe. They've got quality, they've got some decent depth. They are heavily reliant on Watkins, but he is delivering week on week now. And the knock on Watkins had been his finishing. He can be a little bit hit and miss. But this season, I mean, 14 goals in the league, 15 in all competitions, plus six assists. So he gives you a little bit of everything. He runs the channels. He works incredibly hard. He challenges in the air. He's good in the air. He got the assist for the Ramsey goal with a, a knockdown, just he's he's turning into a really, really good player. He's like a more cultured version of Diego Costa. He might never be 25 goals a season at the highest level, but I think if you put another striker next to him, I think the two of them would absolutely feast on opposition because... Watkins is more than happy to play that second banana role where he does a lot of the dog work and maybe someone else gets the plaudits. When he played with Ings, he adapted to the role really well. Now, I've said before, the one I'd love to see him play with is Ivan Tony. So I just think they'd be absolutely horrible to play against. And I think their skill sets would combine really, really well. There's definitely some overlap, but I think as a front two, they'd be... They'd be absolutely deadly. Um, and I think Watkins' Watkins' strengths will mask some of Tony's weaker areas and then vice versa as well. I think the two of them together could be 35 Premier League goals and 18 to 20 assists combined. I think they're that good. Um We'll see what Emery does, obviously, moving forward. He does tend to just play one bigger striker, so I, I don't have any expectation that they'd look at Ivan Tony, but I do think it would be a very fun uh, pairing. And if you get Jacob Ramsey moving in and around them, I think he'd get double-figures goals as well. 
Uh, so Villa, absolutely second winner. And then I'm going to go for Bournemouth because what a victory. To go to the Tottenham Stadium, to go one down, get comprehensively outplayed, and then the first real chance you get, you score. Then you go 2-1 up. Then you get outplayed again. You get pulled back to 2-2. And then you respond by going down and getting the winner. Their recent turnaround has been hugely impressive to me. Three wins out of their last four. And good wins as well. Like, they went away to Spurs and won. They went away to Leicester and won. I know Leicester aren't a good team, but they went away to Leicester and won. They lost to Brighton. That's fine. Brighton are a much better team. You you should lose to Brighton. They beat Fulham at home. They got walloped by Villa. But as I've just said, Villa are one of the two most informed teams in the league. They beat Liverpool. Liverpool were coming off the back of a 7-0 win over United. And Bournemouth beat them. They gave Arsenal a real shock. They should have beaten Arsenal, in truth. They were two up. They should have beaten them. They should have at least gotten a draw. Hammered by City, that's fine. They went to Wolves and won. Now again, Wolves aren't great, but it's away from home. Obviously they've got a good draw against Newcastle as well. So, you know, this is not just a couple of games. That's ten games where they've been pretty decent. And they've taken two hammerings, City and and Villa. Can't really argue with either of them. They lost to Brighton. They lost to Arsenal. Well, that's four of the top seven that they lost to. Everybody outside the top seven there, they took points from. They beat Wolves, beat Liverpool, beat Fulham, beat Bournemouth, and beat Spurs. So they actually, sorry, beat Leicester and beat Spurs. They, they beat everybody they played outside the top seven. Drew at Newcastle, lost the other three, lost the other four, and then walloped. Not walloped, but sorry, beat the the five teams outside the top seven. That's that's really impressive, really really impressive. And they they have put themselves in a position to stay up. Like I said, I'm going to continue to say they go down, and I'm hoping I'm I'm reverse jinxing them and they're going to stay up. Um, they've got some lovely players there. They really do. There's a lot of championship players, and they'll have a lot of work to do in the summer. And I don't know that Gary O'Neill should be the the manager long-term, but you've got to reward him for what he's done this season if he keeps you up. Because when you sack Parker, you look like you were dead and buried. You look like you might go down with, you know, 15 points. Now you look like you're going to stay up. You're six points ahead of the relegation zone. And you've got not the worst run-in coming up. Some favourable games. Losers then. We will go... I think Spurs. I think Spurs. Like, I know what I've just said about Bournemouth, but your Spurs, you should be beating Bournemouth at home. Especially in the position you were in, 1-0 up and dominant. And to get back to 2-2 and then throw it away again is just a shocker. 
they've now lost 10 games this season. They look hapless defensively. They look hopeless in midfield and up front. Son has found a bit of form at the same time that Kane is starting to have a little bit of a stretch where he looks tired. Harry Kane looked exhausted at the weekend because he's had to carry the load all season. Kulisevsky's not had a good year because he's been in and out with injuries. Son has not had a good year. And Richarlison, when we're, when we're listing the busts of the season, he is he's number one. £60 million Spurs paid to bring Richarlison to the club. And he has in no way, shape or form paid back even a penny of that money. Uh, this has been a shocker of a season. He's got two goals in 28 games. And both of them, if I'm not mistaken, came in the same game. Yeah, he scored against Marseille. Now, I know he's had some injuries, and I know he hasn't always been a starter, and all that kind of stuff, and that's all fine. It's all true. But at the end of the day, you've made 27 appearances this season without scoring. Like, there's there's no argument to be made that you haven't had an absolutely rotten season. He's played 1,223 minutes. He's only scored two goals, and they came in the one game. He's got four assists, so he is contributing. And he is a good player. I mean, nobody's going to argue that Richarlison isn't a good player. A £60 million player. But I was thinking about this yesterday. So Arsenal tried very hard to get him. Couldn't. He hasn't worked out where he's gone. They tried very hard to get Mudrick. Couldn't. Hasn't worked so far. Now, it's game with Richarlison so far. Mudrick so far. Hasn't worked. That's not to say if they hadn't gone to Arsenal that they wouldn't have been brilliant. They might well have been brilliant. But in not getting Richarlison, Arsenal got Gabriel Jesus, who's been tremendous for them. Missed some time with injuries, but he's been tremendous when he's been fit. In not getting Mudrick, they got Trossard, who's been really good and has made a number of match-winning contributions for them. And they paid, if I'm not mistaken, $18 for Trossard. I think it was somewhere around there. As opposed to the 70-plus that it would have taken to get Mudrick. Trossard's just a better fit. Uh, 20 million plus add-ons. What do they pay for Gabriel Jesus? It's about 45 maybe. Yeah, 45 million. So he was 15 million less than Richarlison. And Trossard was, what, 50-odd million cheaper than Mudrick. Arsenal saved themselves a fortune and ended up on the better side of both deals. Because the players they've got have fit and worked straight away. Again, Mudrick might have gone to Arsenal and been really good. Or it might have taken him some time to adapt to the league the way he is here. 
So the Theon Mudrick was 62 million rising to 89. So Trossard was 42 million cheaper and significantly less add-ons. Just because you don't get your top target, and this is especially for like for Liverpool for this summer, just because they're not going to get Jude, who was their top target, doesn't mean they can't get someone that works out better than Jude might have. Liverpool could buy Mason Mount as a name that's out there, and in their the new shape, Mount might actually be a better fit than Jude. They could buy, say, Dominic Zabozlai. And he might be a better fit than Jude. And he might produce more than Jude would. And Jude might go to Inter- or to Real Madrid or to City. And he might struggle for a while. He might not immediately shine. And someone else could go to Liverpool and do a great job. So just because you don't get your top target doesn't mean... You should just give up or be disappointed with who who you do bring in. It's worked really well for Arsenal this season with two examples. Not getting Richarlison, getting Jesus instead. Not getting uh, Mudrick and getting Trossard instead. And you've saved £55 between those two deals, plus a load of add-ons on the Mudrick deal that will afford you to go out this summer and add another player. There's been talk that they'd like another backup wide player. Well, they have the money to do that now. All things considered, Arsenal should be quite happy not to have gotten either of them. Anyway, Spurs, definitely a loser for this weekend. Um, Chelsea. Chelsea have to be in here. That performance was a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. At home, go one up and then just get comprehensively bombarded for the rest of the game. Show no signs of fight, no signs of life. You've got Todd Bowley coming into the dressing room after. Now, a real manager tells him to get out. A real manager puts him properly in his place. You want to talk to these players... You call a meeting at the training ground on Monday. You don't come into the dressing room. You don't belong in the dressing room. Berlusconi always said the one thing he never did was go into the dressing room because Saki told him it wasn't acceptable. Do you think United's owners ever dared creep into the dressing room when Ferguson was there? Do you think Arsene Wenger would have been chuffed to see the owners stroll in and give the players a dressing down? It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. There's a time and a place for that, and Bowley doing it is embarrassing. But Chelsea's performance was even more embarrassing. 39 points from 31 games. That is absolutely disgraceful with the talent they have there. Negative three goal difference. That's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Uh, My last loser of the weekend there, I'm going to go Everton because you were at home to Fulham who have nothing to play for. You needed the win. And now you're clinging on to safety on goal difference. 
you've got a tough run in. Now, so do Forrest, but it only takes one result to go wrong and Forrest are above you. They get a draw and you lose. Forrest are above you. And Everton's running is really tough. It is really tough. Palace are in good form. They've won three in a row. The Toon are a much better team. Leicester are battling for their own lives. Brighton are battling for Europe. City are fighting for the title. Now, they might get lucky and Wolves and Bournemouth might both be safe by the time those games come around. But I went through the Wolves games yesterday and I don't think Wolves will be safe. I think Wolves will need to win that one. So it'll come down to Bournemouth on the final day. But if they've lost all those other games, they'll be down before that day. They'll be down before the final day. If they go on a run here where they lose, say, four of the next six and get two points, well, chances are Forrest will win one of their remaining games. Now, it's not easy to find that game, but you know they could beat Brentford away because Brentford are safe, have nothing to play for. They could beat Southampton at home. They're the two most wins. But then they've also got Palace on the last day. Palace won't have anything to play for. Palace will be safe. So, that's a really tough, tough run for Everton. They needed that three points. And even Leicester, I mean, Leicester could well pull themselves out of this. Wolves home, Leeds away. If they beat Everton, Leicester will be out of the bottom three just by beating Everton. If they can pick up some points elsewhere, they might be fine. And, you know, they've got match winners there in Barnes and Madison and Vardy and Iheanacho and Daka. If they can just figure out a way to be a little stronger defensively, they could go and win a couple of those games and stay up. And that will pull Everton into the bottom three. And Everton just don't look like winning a game of football. Not with the way they performed at the weekend. And they were so flat against United. They got the draw against Spurs because Michael Keane pulled an absolute worldie out of his backside. But, you know, other than the win over Brentford, which was just Brentford being dreadful, Everton have been awful. Um, Right, they're my winners and losers. Last thing I want to do before we go to the break, I saw someone pick their Premier League team of the season. Um, I just I had so many issues with it. It wasn't even funny how many issues I had with it. So, um, he picked David Rea in goal, and I'm sorry, but there's just no world in which David Rea has been better than Alison Becker this season. Alison is the goalkeeper of the year, without a shadow of a doubt. Doff of the cap to Nick Pope and Aaron Ramsdale, but Alison has been significantly better than every other keeper in the league this year. This is his best season since joining Liverpool. That's how good he's been. He's undeniably the goalkeeper of the year. Um, In defence, I'd go Nathan Aki at left back. Over the course of the season, I think he's been the best left back. I think Zinchenko pushes him close, but he's missed some time and I don't think game to game he's as consistent as people pretend he is. So I'll go 
I'll go Nathan Aki as my left back. I'm going to go Trippier as the right back. Not a particularly good season for right backs in the Premier League. So I'll go Trippier. Uh, Sven Botman, undeniably one of the centre-backs. He's been the best centre-back in the league this season. The the silly chap I saw had Thiago Silva. And tried to claim that Chelsea have been amazing defensively. That's what people say when they don't quite watch enough of a team. Chelsea are not amazing defensively. Chelsea are just defensive. They're a really defensive team. That's why there's no balance to the team, why they don't score enough goals. They overload defensively to protect Thiago Silva, and it leaves them short going forward. We saw the exact same thing last season with Wolves. Remember Wolves last season? For a long stretch of the year, Wolves had a top three or four defensive record, and then they couldn't score a goal under Bruno Lage. That's Chelsea this year. Brighton were like that as well. They weren't great defensively. They were just a little bit too defensive. They were too rigid, too sterile. They weren't committed enough to trying to win games. They were playing not to lose. That's been the case with Chelsea all season. There's a reason people didn't enjoy watching them under Thomas Tuchel. Because they were uber defensive. Graham Potter's football is overly cautious football. Yes, it looks nice, but it is quite sterile. There's no real end product with it. And Frank Lampard, well, he's a substitute PE teacher now. He's in because no one else wants the job at the moment. Chelsea aren't good defensively. They're just over-defensive. So Thiago Silva, even if he... If Chelsea were good defensively, he wouldn't be in the team. Sven Botman is the first centre-back. Most of the season, I've looked at Gabriel as the other centre-back. Now, it's two left-footed centre-backs, which nobody really likes. More to the point, it's two players that play left-side centre-back. So I'm going to pick a left-side and a right-side So Botman's in over Gabriel. He has been better this season. He's been the best centre-back in the league. And I'm going to go with Ruben Diaz as the other because I think even though he had a shaky start to the season, I think from about October on, he's actually been really good. Um, So I'm going to go Diaz and Botman with Trippier and Aki as the, um, the fullbacks. And I think individually they've been the best in their positions. Their two teams have been the best defensive teams in the league this season. So Allison, Trippier, Diaz, Botman, and Nathan Aki. In midfield, Martin Odegaard, without question, is in. He has been sensational for Arsenal. Uh, definitely a strong contender for Footballer of the Year. I don't think there's any any way to, to claim otherwise. Um, when they've needed someone to lift them up, it's largely been him. He's involved in most of their best play. He's a super smart decision maker. So he's in. Bruno Gomerish is a no-brainer as the six. Um, it's Casemiro this fella had in. Casemiro's been good. He hasn't been Gomerish level good. He's been sent off twice and missed seven games through suspension. 
I'm, I'm not having him in the team. Bruno Gomerich has been the best player for Newcastle all season long. So I'm going with Gomerich. This one will be a little bit controversial. The obvious pick here is Kevin De Bruyne. I don't feel like this has been his best season. I think in fits and starts, he's been brilliant. I think there's been a number of games where he's been below par. So he's not making my team. At this point, there's eight games left. He might well go on an eight-game tear where he looks like the best player in the league again. But as of right now, he's not in my team of the season. My third midfielder is Moises Caicedo. Every single week, he's 8 out of 10. Every single week. Find me the bad Moises Caicedo match this season. He is sensational. So consistent. He reminds me a lot of Gilberto Silva. The way he goes about his business, how understated he is, the smart decisions he makes. He doesn't look like a player with great technical level, but he does have a really good technical level. Defensively, he's incredible. His his reading of the game, his timing, his decision-making, the way he tracks runners, his athleticism is incredible. It's scary. Like, when, when Brighton came to Anfield early this season in the 3-3, he managed to not just track Mo Salah, but he caught up about four yards of a head start that he'd given Salah and took the ball off him like it was nothing. And Salah is strong as an ox. But Caicedo is just, he's different. He's a different type of player. Moises Caicedo is in my team of the season right now. The front three, I think, is a very simple pick. I think it has to be Bikai Saka. I think him and Odegaard together are the primary reason Arsenal are where they are. I think he's been brilliant. Erling Haaland, obviously. 32 goals. You can't leave him out. And I think Marcus Rashford is the third forward. I think he he kicked into gear before the World Cup. And from when he came back from the World Cup, until this recent injury, he had been sensational. He was carrying that United team. Without him, they don't look really threatening at all. With him, they look quite lethal. So I think it's him. Now, I do think Ollie Watkins deserves a mention, not as a foot, not as a team of the year candidate, but if we were doing second half of the season, he'd certainly get more of a look. But I think Saka, Haaland and Rashford has to be the three. Has to be the three. I just don't see how you can make a real argument against any of them. Now, Martinelli's had a good season for Arsenal. Has he been as good as Haaland? No. Or as, as Rashford? No, he hasn't. Um... Jesus has had a good season for Arsenal. Very good season. Has he been as good as Haaland? No. Has Jack Grealish been as good as Rashford? No. 
has Riyad Mahrez been as good as Bikayo Saka? No. Uh, Veghorst and Anthony certainly aren't getting in over Haaland or Saka. I think Isak has looked really Im- impressive of late, but he's not getting in over Haaland. Almiron had a really good first half of the season. And I think you could have made a case that at the halfway point, I think I did make the case at the halfway point that he should be in the team this season, but Saka has continued on and gotten better and Almiron has dropped off and you're certainly not putting in Alan at maximum. Um, Harry Kane has a case, but not as strong a case as Haaland. Like I said, Watkins is worth a mention, but he's not getting in. I think Matoma has had a brilliant season. He hasn't been as good as Rashford. Solly March has been really good, not as good as Saka. Uh, Evan Ferguson is going to be the best number nine in the world, but for right now, he's not quite on Haaland's level. Not quite getting there, but not quite. Salah's had a better season than anybody will will accept, but he's not been as good as Saka overall. His, his impact on games is not the same. Um, and none of the rest of Liverpool's attackers get get consideration here. Tony's had a brilliant season, but not to the level of Haaland. Mitrovic, the same, not to the level of Haaland. And below that, there's nobody worth consideration. Um, I think that front three is the front three. I, I can see arguments for certain other people in midfield, you know, like like KDB. Uh, I could see an argument for Gundogan, maybe, but I, 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 again, I don't think it's been a vintage Gundogan season. I don't think he's been quite as good. I think the contract situation might be weighing on a bit. He's also 32 now, so starting to, you know, I, I was going to say slow down, but he never sped up, so but you know what I mean. Um Jolington, Willock and Longstaff don't get consideration. Casemiro, like I said, had a good season, a very good season, as has Bruno Fernandes, but they're not team of the season level. Not this season. Uh, none of the Spurs midfielders are worth consideration. Bubakar Kamara, when fit, has been great, but not better than Gamerish. Um Alexis McAllister, I think, would have a, a decent enough case if Odegaard hadn't been quite as good. I think Alexis would have a case. Uh, none of Liverpool's midfielders have been good at all. Not having anyone below that, no chance. Defensively, it's the same thing. Like Zinchenko, there's a case for Zinchenko, without doubt. There's no case for anyone other than Botman. Gabriel's been really good. Botman has just been better. There's a case for Saliba over Diaz, but I do think I'd, I'd edge Diaz. I think he's just been a little bit better. Um, and more consistent. Saliba's had a couple of really ropey games. And again, right back, there just hasn't been good right backs in the league this season. So it's Trippier almost by default. It's a bit like when Kyle Walker and Gary Neville used to make teams of the season. And again, there's no case for anyone in goal. It is Allison. Simple as that. So I'm happy with my team so far. Um, and I'm not going to change it at this point. Come the end of the season, I'll do it again. Somebody who's on the periphery might make a late surge. Could be KDB. If he goes on and leads leads City to the title, and Odegaard maybe has a drop-off, KDB over Odegaard could be a thing. If Caicedo drops off, maybe he's the one that falls out. As things stand, I have Bruno Gomeric as my footballer of the year. And I know he won't win, and that's fine. 
I'm sure the winner will be Haaland. Haaland would be fourth for me. I've got Gimerish, then the two boys from Arsenal, Odegaard and Saka, whichever order you want to put them in. And then Haaland. The goals are impossible to ignore. But like he's had a lot of games where he's been really poor. Even games he scored multiple goals in, he stanked the place out. But goals are goals. So credit must be given. Uh, right, I'll take a break on that. When I come back, we'll have a look at tonight's Champions League games. We'll recap the weekend's lower league games. And then we'll do the gossip and be done. So I'll see you in a sec. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now... On with the show. Right, welcome back. So, tonight we have two Champions League games. We have Chelsea at home to Real Madrid. Real are 2-0 up from the first leg. It was a very, very, very easy 2-0 for Real. I don't expect they'll have many problems tonight. Uh, Despite Todd Bowley's pep talk, Chelsea just don't have the firepower. um, Because they're too overloaded to protect their defence. I'd love to see Chelsea go out on their shield, just absolutely go balls to the wall for this. But I don't expect it to be the case. And I think if they did that, Real would probably cut them apart. So I think Real will progress. 
and progress quite comfortably. In the other one, this is where the real interest is. So Napoli versus Milan. Milan hold a 1-0 lead from the first leg. Napoli's form has dipped a little bit. They've looked a little bit tired. They've no Zambo and Gisa tonight, but they do have Victor Osterman back, which is huge. They rested players at the weekend to be ready for this weekend for the, for this game. My expectation is that Napoli will go and win. I think as as a competition, Napoli need to win because I feel like the other semi-finals right now to me look pretty close to done. A quarterfinals rather. Inter have a 2-0 lead and are at home. I expect Inter to see out that game. Now they might lose the game 1-0, 2-1, whatever. But I expect them to see out the tie and progress to the semi-final. City are 3-0 up over Bayern. So City are as good as through. So then we're looking at Real versus City. And Inter versus the winner of this game. Now, if it's Inter versus AC, that's obviously huge in its own right. It's a Milan derby, and it would be great for Italian football to have that kind of spectacle. Now, obviously, if Napoli win, it's still an all-Italy semi-final. So it's still great for Italian football, but a Milan derby is, is a different thing. Like, that's a really special occasion. The San Siro will be absolutely hopping for both games. And it will draw more eyes than, than Napoli because Milan and Inter are just more popular, more well-known teams. But neither of them is going to trouble Real or Man City. If we're being honest, a Milan versus Inter semi-final means that the Real versus Man City semi-final is kind of the final. It's kind of the deciding fixtures that will tell us who's going to win this competition. At least with Napoli, they have it within themselves to cause Real and City massive, massive problems and potentially beat either of them in a one-off game. The explosiveness of Osman and Kivica the work rate of Angisa, Zielinski and Lobotka in midfield, Kim and the strength he brings at the back, that is a formidable matchup for either Real or Manchester City. I don't believe Milan or Inter pose the same level of threat at all. So I think for the good of the competition, as harsh as it is on Milan, who've been really good to get this far, look at their domestic form, look at what they are as a team. They're not very good this year. Inter are not very good this year. I think Napoli need to win that game for the good of the competition, or I do think the final becomes a procession. I think it becomes far less interesting. A bit like when... Liverpool played Spurs. Everyone just expected Liverpool to beat Spurs. Spurs weren't a Champions League final caliber team. Now, the other thing, the other side of that is the other team they played was Ajax. Liverpool Ajax would have been great from a historical point of view, but everybody would have still expected Liverpool to win quite comfortably. But it probably would have been a more interesting game. 
We need Napoli to go through. We need them to go through. Right, let's take an adventure in the championship then. We had a full round of fixtures at the weekend. Middlesbrough 5, Norwich 1. Aaron Ramsey, who's on loan from Villa, spent the first half of the season on loan at Norwich, scores the first. Hayden Hackney, who's a name to keep an eye on, really, really impressive. Really impressive midfielder. Cameron Archer, like Aaron Ramsey, also in on loan from Villa. He gets two. It's 4-0. Oh, sorry, it's it's 3-0 on 43. Sargent scores on 45. Archer scores in stoppage time in the first half. And then four minutes into the second half, uh, Akpom scores to make it 5-1. It's game over at that point. Middlesbrough had eight shots in the game. Six on target and scored five goals. That's efficiency. Uh, it's it's bad goalkeeping as well, but it's efficiency. Uh, Norwich had three shots on target from 11 total, so more shots total, and only scored one. 5-1 to Borough, great result. Sheffield United, four. Cardiff, one. McAtee, Robinson, Njai, and Clark with the goals for the Blades. Uh, Blackpool, one. Wigan, nil. Reading nil, Burnley nil. Burnleyers are are up. They're promoted. It's just a procession now at this point. They're just going to ease their way through the remainder of the season. Uh, Rotherham nil, Luton two. Watford two, Bristol City nil. Stoke City one, West Brom two. Good win away from home for the Baggies. QPR nil, Coventry three. Millwall two, Preston nil. Sunderland two, Birmingham 1, Swansea 1, Blackburn Rovers, sorry, Swansea 1, Huddersfield 0, Blackburn Rovers 0, Hull City 0. The table is as follows. Burnley are top, 5 games to go, they're 12 points clear. One more win will see them uh, promoted as guaranteed champions. Uh, Then it's Sheffield United, then a 5 point gap to Luton. Then Middlesbrough, Millwall and Blackburn make up the playoff spots at the moment. Blackburn are a point ahead of Coventry and Preston, but have played a game more. Then it's Sunderland and Norwich. They're both two points outside the playoffs, but again, they've played a game more than Blackburn. So Rovers look at the moment like they might cling on to that sixth spot and that fourth and final playoff position but they haven't won in four games and both them and Millwall have had a dodgy stretch I'd love to see Sunderland get in because I'd love to see Sunderland versus Borough in the playoffs I think that would be a lot of fun but you know I also I'd also love to see Coventry get in because I'd love to see Coventry back in the Premier League as things stand, I'm hoping Middlesbrough come up because I, I like Borough. I've always liked them as a club. Um, I still remember when they come up the first time and they moved into their new stadium. They signed Nicky Barnby and then they got real exciting and brought in Janino. Then they brought in Ravenelli and Emerson and there was a lot of excitement. They got the two cup finals, lost both of them and managed to get themselves relegated in the same season. Um, so I'd like to see Borough come up. Um but after Sunderland and Norwich, then it's West Brom, who themselves are only three points 
outside the playoffs. So still in the mix, without doubt. Uh, then Watford, Swansea, Bristol, Hull, Stoke, Birmingham, Rotherham, Huddersfield. QPR worryingly heading in the wrong direction. They were right in the mix for promotion like 25 games ago. And now they're very much in the mix for relegation. They're one point clear of Reading. They've played the same number of games. And remember, Reading had points deducted. That's the only reason they're in this mess. Um, it's QPR, Cardiff, Reading, Blackpool, and Wigan. Wigan look, Wigan look done. Blackpool gave themselves a bit of a chance with the win at the weekend, but they're four points from safety with four games to go. So we'll wait and see. There is a round of games tonight. Full round between tonight and tomorrow. Tonight we have Blackpool versus West Brom, Sheffield United versus Bristol, Sunderland versus Huddersfield, Stoke versus Wigan, Rotherham versus Burnley, and Millwall versus Birmingham. Tomorrow night, QPR versus Norwich, Watford versus Cardiff, Swansea versus Preston, Blackburn versus Coventry. Huge game for both sides. That game could decide that last playoff spot. Reading versus Luton and Middlesbrough versus Hull. Right, into League One, we shall venture uh, at the weekend. Exeter nil, Plymouth one. Cambridge 2, Peterborough 0. Akron Stanley 2, Fleetwood 5. Burton Albion 3, Sheffield Wednesday 2. Oxford 0, Bolton 1, Forest Green 1, Barnsley 5. Uh, so yet another defeat for big Duncan Ferguson. And just to keep you updated with your Duncan Ferguson managerial statistics watch. At Forest Green, played 14, won 1, drawn 2, lost 11, a 7.14% win percentage. Uh, For the career now, played 19, won 2, drawn 5, lost 12, a 10.53% career win rate. Uh, That is shocking. That's half a season he's managed overall in his career. And he's won two games. Um, back we go. Morecambe 1, Wickham 0. Lincoln 3, Port Vale 2. Bristol Rovers 1, Derby County 1. Ipswich 6, Charlton 0. Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury 1, Portsmouth 1. MK Dons 2, Cheltenham 2. Table is as follows. Plymouth Argyle top. One point clear of Ipswich. Sheffield Wednesday, who've been setting the pace for much of the season. They're now out of the automatic play, uh, the automatic promotion spots and into the playoffs. A point behind Ipswich, but they have played a game more. And they're in poor form. They've only won one of five. And that defeat was at the weekend to Burton. Burton were like... Burton came into the weekend in 18th position. They moved up to 16th with the win, but that's a that's a really poor result for Sheffield Wednesday. Below them, it is Barnsley, then Bolton, Peterborough. As things stand, the playoffs would be Sheffield Wednesday versus Peterborough, Peterborough 
Barnsley versus Bolton could be interesting. Um, Ipswich against Plymouth coming up automatically would be great, especially for Ipswich under Kieran McKenna. He's done a great job. Uh, Derby are one point outside the playoffs. Then it's Wickham, Portsmouth, Shrewsbury, Charlton, Lincoln, Exeter, Fleetwood, Bristol Rovers, Burton, Cheltenham, Port Vale, MK Dons, Oxford, Cambridge, Morecambe, Accrington Stanley and Forest Green bottom 12 points below everybody else. They're going down. They're actually down. They are actually down. Uh, They've got four games left and they're 14 points from safety because four teams go down in this division. Oxford are the team at the moment clinging to a spot in next season's League One on goal difference from Cambridge. And I don't know if there's an Oxford versus Cambridge football rivalry. Actually, I have no idea if there is. But obviously, there's a rivalry between the universities and the cities. Um, so it is funny that they're the two teams competing there. And it's goal difference alone keeping Oxford up. Um, I would say Derby. Maybe Wickham, maybe Portsmouth could potentially gate crash the playoffs. Derby looked like the team who could do it because they're only a point outside, whereas Wickham are five points outside, so they'd need Peterborough to have a dreadful finish. But Derby might be able to gate crash and get in. As things stand though, Sheffield Wednesday versus Peterborough, Barnsley versus Bolton. Um in the championship, it is Luton against Blackburn. Luton against Blackburn and Middlesbrough against Millwall. That'll be long old travel for the fans of those teams for playoff games. Uh, into League Two then. Four teams promoted from this, which is great. Actually, sorry, there is there are League One games tonight and tomorrow. Let's have a check on them. Uh, tonight we've got Accrington Stanley Peterborough we've got Shrewsbury versus Plymouth MK Dons Charlton Ipswich Port Vale Lincoln Barnsley Exeter Derby Forest Green Fleetwood Bristol Rovers Sheffield Wednesday Burton against Bolton Cambridge against Wickham and Oxford against Portsmouth so that's all tonight um yeah, we get that full that full run tonight. Eleven games. Uh back to League Two then. And again, four teams to be promoted from League Two into League One. At the weekend, Crawley beat Tranmere two one. Rochdale nil Bradford City three. Gillingham one Stockport one. Swindon nil Barrow nil. Salford City nil Colchester one. Crew Alexandra 2, Walsall 0. Stevenage 2, AFC Wimbledon 1. Newport County 2, Hartlepool 0. Carlisle 0, Northampton 0. Grimsby 1, Mansfield 1. Sutton United 0, Leighton Orient uh, 2. And Harrogate 2, Doncaster 2. That leaves the table looking as follows. Leighton Orient top. They're 10 points clear of second place, Northampton. They're 13 points clear of fourth place, Stockport. 
So Leighton Orient will be in League 2 next season. Northampton and Stevenage right now are the teams that will join them in the automatic promotion spots. Then you've got Stockport, Carlisle and Bradford all on 71 points. Bradford do have a game in hand. And if they can win that game in hand, they could go second. So Bradford might yet come up automatically. Then it's Mansfield. So the playoffs as it stands would be Stockport versus Mansfield, Carlisle versus Bradford. Just outside the playoffs is Gary Neville's Salford City. Then Barrow, Sutton, Tranmere, Swindon, Grimsby, Doncaster, Walsall, Crew, Newport, Gillingham, AFC Wimbledon, Colchester, Harrogate, Crawley Town, Hartlepool and Rochdale. Rochdale looked dead and buried. Hartlepool might still have a chance to stay up. They're only two points behind Crawley. Um, Salford and Barrow might be able to find their way into the playoffs. But Mansfield are level on points with Salford. Better goal difference and have a game in hand. By better goal difference, they've scored a goal more. Uh, they've actually got the same goal difference, so it will revert to who scored the most goals. Right now, it's Mansfield. Mansfield have a game in hand, so they could open a little gap there. And it would be great to see Gary Neville crying that his team didn't make the playoffs. Um, we have a round of games tonight. We have 11 games in League 2. Stevenage, Doncaster, Grimsby, Barrow, Sutton United, New- uh, Northampton Town. Rochdale, Tranmere, Swindon, Bradford, Carlisle, Stockport, Crawley, uh, Colchester, Harrogate, Walsall, Newport, Mansfield, Salford, Hartlepool, Gillingham, Leighton Orient. And we will finish up then with a look at the National League. Um, Barnet nil, Wrexham nil. Points dropped there for Wrexham. Aldershot 2, Scunthorpe 1, Colchester 2, East, sorry, Colchester 3, Eastleigh 2, Torquay 3, York City 2, Boreham 1, Wheelstone 0, Gateshead 0, Bromley 3, Sullyhull Moors 2, Yeovil 2, Dorking 3, Altrincham 2, Oldham 1, Maidenhead 0, Halifax 3, Maidstone 0, South End 2, Dagenham and Redbridge 0. Notts County 3, Woking 0. Wrexham are still top. They're a point ahead of Notts County and they have a game in hand. So in all likelihood, they are coming up. Notts County have two games left. Assuming they win then, that's 109 points. So Wrexham would need, need just to win two of their remaining three games. To stay to come up automatically, the playoffs would be Notts County versus Barnet and Chesterfield versus Woking. Notts County Barnet playing in a playoff. I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it again. Notts County are 33 points ahead of Barnet. They shouldn't be playing in a playoff. Notts County should be coming up automatically. The playoffs. There should be three teams coming up. It should be Chesterfield, Boreham Wood, Woking, Barnet. And there should be three teams getting relegated from League Two. We do have a round of matches uh, in the conference tonight. They're they're all from all over the place. It's teams making up their game in hand. So Wrexham play Yeovil. 
Gateshead played Dorking. Oldham played Southend. Chesterfield played Torquay. Halifax played Bromley. Altrincham played Dagenham and Redbridge. Barnet played Solihull Moors. And Wheelstone played Aldershot. And what that will mean is that almost everybody will have played the same amount of games. There's still one group of games to be made back up, um, which will take place on the 25th. There's six teams to play three games, and then everybody will have played the same number of games. But big, big game for Wrexham tonight. Win that, and it's pretty much going to be put to bed. You'll only need to win one of your last two. So they've, who have they got left? They've got Yeovil, Boreham Wood, and Torquay. Yeovil are third from third from bottom, no wins in five. Uh, Boreham Wood are decent, they're sixth, but then Torquay um, are fourth from bottom. Now, Torquay are the most informed team in the league. They've won five in a row, having been dreadful all season. They've won five in a row. They took 31 points from their first 38 games and have now taken 15 from the last five. Makes no sense at all. But you do get teams that go through these runs. Like Gateshead has been awful. They won four in a row. Uh, They lost their last game, but they'd won four in a row before that. Halifax are bang in the middle of the table. They've won four in a row. Dorking have won four of five. The informed teams... Other than Notts County, who've won four or five, that defeat was against Wrexham. But the informed teams are in the bottom half of the league. Wrexham obviously inform as well, but they have a win and a draw in their, oh, sorry, a defeat and a draw in their last five games. Um, and that's that's where we are with the uh, lower leagues. Uh, we'll move on to the gossip. Uh, little bits of news here. Jurgen Klopp claims that Liverpool's performance last night was the best they've played all season. Uh, it, it genuinely wasn't. They played well in the second half. Uh, it wasn't the best they've played all season. Uh, Chelsea have held talks with Julian Nagelsmann. We knew that. Phil Foden is back in training, so that's a big plus for Manchester City. I would doubt he plays against Bayern. He's probably back for the FA Cup game against uh, Sheffield United at the weekend. And then they'll have him for the run-in. Uh, Manchester City have submitted a 300 million plan to increase the capacity of the Etihad to 60,000. So that's an increase of 6,600 seats. Not really sure why that would take, why that would cost 300 million. Oh, because they're also looking to build a new club shop, a new museum, and a 400 bed hotel. Do you know what? Fair play. Um, could create 2,600 jobs. This is sports washing, of course, at its very, very finest. The idea that City need a 60,000-seater stadium is hilarious, though. There's there's empty seats every week. They, They give away thousands of tickets for free every week to school kids. But away with them. Let them at it. It'll all come out in the wash eventually. Uh, West Ham and England midfielder Declan Rice would prefer a summer move to Arsenal with Newcastle also interested. <clears throat> Newcastle's the better fit. Him and Gamerish as a two would be really good. Rice is among several English options alongside Leicester midfielder James Madison 
and Brentford forward Ivan Tony being considered by the Magpies as they target the arrival of four elite players this summer. Uh, I I think Ivan Tony's great, but none of them are elite players. Madison's not elite. Rice Stephanie isn't elite. Um, Tony has been there. I'm not sure he'd be all that keen to go back. But Rice and Gamers would be a really good fit together. Ryan Gravenberch has told Liverpool he's open to a summer move. Barcelona are confident of signing Ilkay Gundogan on a free this summer. Tottenham are set to rival Chelsea for Luis Enrique's signature. Antonio Conte could become the next Roma boss with Jose Mourinho tipped to take over Paris Saint-Germain. Roma are not getting Conte because Roma don't have the money to entice Conte. Uh, Aston Villa, Everton and West Ham are interested in Joaquin Correa of Inter Milan. Good player. Odd fit for most clubs. Not really sure where he'd fit for any of them, but he's a good player. Chelsea will try to sell Conor Gallagher this summer with a number of Premier League and European clubs interested. They might get 25 to 30 million for him. They won't get 35 to 40 unless someone is stupid. And nobody outside the Premier League is really going to be able to afford that kind of fee anyway. Arsenal have offered Reese Nelson a new contract, but there are doubts over his long-term future with Aston Villa, Fulham, West Ham and Brighton among the teams interested. He'd be interesting at Brighton. West Ham are set to receive a fee of $1.75 million for Arthur Masuaka from Besiktas after the obligation to buy clause in his loan agreement was triggered. Aston Villa have set their sights in a summer move for Kyle Walker, who is out of contract in 2024. We'll just, uh, just check the sourcing on this. It's Wayne Vesey. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a spoofer. Chelsea are set to sign 15-year-old Colombian midfielder Kendry Paez, who will join the club in 2025 when he's 18 in a deal worth 17.6 million. Now, of course, we should note that this is from Fabrizio, who's a spoofer. Um, understand the FA and Premier League set to prove the transfer of talented 2007-born midfielder Kendry Paez to Chelsea to be signed soon. A 20 million package, main part depending on add-ons. Full agreement since March. Uh, he can't move for the, till 2025. Um, he is, of course, Ecuadorian. Now, the spoofer didn't say he was Colombian. Uh, that's something somebody at the BBC has uh, confused when they looked at the flag that was included in Fabrizio's uh, tweet. Of course, it, he included the Ecuador flag. The Colombian flag is quite similar, but does not have uh, an, insign- an insignia in the middle the way the Ecuador flag does. Uh, Kendry Paez, by all accounts, immensely gifted. Um, that's not a good move for him because that club doesn't really give young players the opportunities they they deserve. But we'll see what happens. Uh, That's it, folks. That's all I've got for today. So thank you, as always, for listening. I won't be here tomorrow, but I'll be back Thursday and Friday. So I don't know how I'm going to do Friday's show without Guy. I'll have to figure that one out. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.